0: This podcast is powered by SEM Wealth Management. SEM Wealth Management, where your faith, your values, and your investments align. Hey, welcome back to Journey, the Financial Advisor Experience. I am Garland Scott. and My good buddy, Ed Dudley, joins me. This is a weekly podcast to identify little nuggets in our industry, people that have amazing stories, different backgrounds, a diversified background. And so we're going to do this as long as we can, uh, maybe a couple of times a month, and we're going to have fun with it. We had a great guest on last week, and we'll hopefully we'll have that out in the next few weeks. And we have a wonderful
1: guest today, Ed. Yeah. Good day, afternoon, evening, wherever you are and whatever time you listen to. Thank you for joining us. Um, I'm really excited about this. You know, Garland and I both been in the finance industry for over 20 years, and we've shared stories privately of our journey in the industry, not running into a lot of people that look like us, came from where we came from, and even women. And this is what we really want to do. We want to highlight the stories, share you know some great content about the financial industry. Hopefully, it opens some eyes. Hopefully, if you're younger or you're in mid career, thinking about making a change in the financial industry, but hear these stories. So hopefully, you can navigate a little better to um, to the journey. But I'm excited today because we're not bringing somebody from the United States in today. We got a friend. That's joining us all the way from South Africa on the coming certified financial planner, Miss Jean Archer. How are you doing today?
2: I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm looking forward to for the questions and the, and the experience.
1: Yeah, well, welcome. Welcome to the journey. Um, we're honored to have you. I, I think it's about a um, late afternoon over in your time. So we won't take up much of your time, but we really want to. Just highlight your story because it's a little bit different than some of the typical individuals that get into the industry. So feel free to land, you know, tell us a little bit about you, how you got into the industry.
2: And I don't know many people that actually started off wanting to be a financial planner, certainly not people in my age group. <laughs> um, I never wanted to either. I mean, my, my dream was to become a psychologist, specifically a child psychologist. And I think a large part of that was because of the emotional trauma and issues and challenges that I was experiencing in my own personal life and wanting to help others, uh, you know, kids specifically to navigate through the emotional challenges that they, they were going to be facing. Uh, and dealing with, and, you know, I, I didn't have money to study full-time, so I had to work full-time and study part-time, and one of the the, the career uh, opportunities I had um, was to work in financial services by default. I didn't have much experience, and so, you know, one of the first few jobs I got was, was, was a position in a, in, a, in a financial services company, uh, and I grabbed it, and, but I continued to study, and eventually, when I finished my degree, I started enjoying the corporate world, and that's how I ended up in financial services.
1: Okay. So, what led you? To, because you got in, you got in, got a, um, some experience, started enjoying it. Kind of like Garland and I, we both fell into the industry. Wasn't looking to get in the industry, and you know, we've you fast forward, we've been here for a while. There's there's not a ton of women that have their CFP. And for those who don't know, that's certified financial planner. And there's a small percentage of people of color as well. You know, once you got into the industry, what made it made you want to say, you know what, I want to go after my CFP?
2: Yeah, and I think it was wanting to grow my career and specialize within the field. I started enjoying what I was doing, you know, advising clients and helping them to achieve their financial goals and outcomes. And I think, again, a large part of that had to do with my own personal journey around money. And I share this quite often, but I was born into a wealthy home. My dad was a successful businessman, but he was also an alcoholic. And by the time I was about eight years old, he ended up abandoning us. And in that process, we ended up losing everything. So my mom was a stay at home mom and she was, you know, left with these four kids under the age of 10 um, and she had to fend for them herself. So we lost our house, we lost the cars, we lost she had no financial support, no income, no job. And so life was pretty hard after that. And so, you know, just having gone through that experience made me want to help other people not experience the same hardship that we did because of not knowing how to manage money, not knowing how to protect um, you know, assets as as a single mom or even as a married woman. And so, a lot of that was part of what motivated me to want to be able to, you know, offer this service to other people.
0: That's a unique perspective. I'm curious to know. You know, we have such a jaded eye here in the United States. We think that everything revolves around us. Um,
2: <laughs> we think that too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> give us a flavor of your country. Um, We know sort of about the past environment, uh, but catch us up, give us a flavor of what it's like to be a financial advisor or in financial services, you know, in 2022, Um, certainly globally since 2020, a lot of things have changed. We probably wouldn't even be doing this podcast without, you know, that year of reflection in 2020 with COVID. Um, But catch us up with, with what happens in South Africa, what the environment's like, and then we can dovetail that into maybe something that's a little bit more personal
2: well i've been in this industry for probably just over 20 years i did my cfp when i was it was 2003 um, and i think one of the things that i had as an advantage was that i was able to balance uh, studies and work and uh, you know when i embarked on the journey to complete my cfp uh, it was four subjects at that particular point in time and I managed to complete all four in, in one year. Whilst I found that a lot of my, my, uh, my peers and my colleagues were struggling to pass one or two of the subjects uh, because they didn't have that practical experience. And also I think they didn't have the opportunity to study on a part-time basis uh, like I did. So I was able to balance that out. So a lot of my peers, it did take a little bit longer to, um, to complete the process, but you know, Obviously, at that point in time as well, the industry was very much male dominated. And I think to a large extent, it still is. I think more and more, there is a lot being done um, through our Financial Planning Institute, as well as other industry bodies that are helping to, you know, um, put financial planning on the map, you know, educating younger kids or, or university students before they enter university around this becoming a potential career choice. I know there are few industry uh, organizations that have been created to help have those conversations with younger people that are promoting professionalism um, you know, and the CFP designation around uh, non, non-white um, students and uh, young professionals. So a lot of stuff has started to shift. Um, you know, Obviously, it's never as fast as what we would like, Um, again, it's still a very much male-dominated industry. And I think if you look at, it's a pity I don't have numbers, but if you look at the the statistics, I mean, you walk into a convention, uh, a financial planning convention or conference, you look around the room and you see an aging financial advisor base. Um, You know, those are the majority of the people in the room. And it is a difficult market to tap into, but I think more and more South Africans are realizing the need for, um, non-white financial advisors, because <clears throat> being able to relate to your clients, um, you know, we've got things like black tax here. We've got things like the sa- sandwich generation, where, you know, kids are now forced to look after both their parents as well as their children. Um, you've also, you know, in growing up in a black family, you might have to take care of your younger siblings. And the minute you start working, you know, those are cultural issues that have huge financial implications to it. And if you don't understand the dynamics of that specific situation um, as an advisor, there's gonna be a huge gap in terms of how you relate to your clients and whether they actually wanna do business with you.
0: That's well said, (laughs) very well said. Have you experienced any any personal hurdles while you're growing as an advisor? Um, We hear stories all the time, that sometimes business culture isn't necessarily uh, advantageous for those that are minorities. Have you experienced something like that? And can you share maybe a story or two with that, about that?
2: Absolutely, and I, I think back to a couple of years ago, uh, and we won't mention names, but I had the opportunity to apply for a senior position and there was a colleague and I that both had applied for the same position. And the the... the i made it to the second interview but i didn't get the i didn't get the job and the reason when i asked for feedback as to why i didn't get it the response was because i didn't have the relationship with the clients so the role specifically was a role that i was very much involved in terms of developing content and resources for that specific role to take out to market but the one thing that i didn't have because i was very much behind the scenes very much involved in research and development that I didn't have those relationships with clients and I felt pretty much disadvantaged by that because the person that did get the job was male and obviously not (laughs) non-white. So that was a huge, um, it was was a a huge disappointment for myself because I felt that I was skilled enough to be able to, to deliver on the role. And I think you know one of my strengths that I have identified throughout my career, and which I have um, you know obviously been informed of not only through myself but was was quite evident in my conversations with senior management, was my ability to build relationships with other people. So I didn't I didn't you know it was it was very disheartening at that point because it was something that I really wanted, but I guess also you know I'm a firm I I have a very strong spiritual connection, and so me. I always look at, you know, the lesson that I'm supposed to learn, or maybe this was not the right path that the universe meant for me. And so I always look at that. And, you know, obviously, at that point in time, I didn't see it like that. But a couple of months later, I realized, okay, that was not the right path for me.
1: That's good. So you get passed over for the position. Um, Did you stay with the entity?
2: I did. I did. Um, it was, yeah, it was um, not, not an easy decision, I guess, but uh, I learned a lot in that process and I have absolutely no regrets of having stayed. And uh, cause I, I, I had to go through that, I guess, to get to where I am now, which is absolutely, and this is where I'm putting my purpose.
1: Yeah. So as yeah. a, 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 a woman holding the CFP designation in South Africa, So I I know a little bit about South Africa, but not on the financial side. How many women are holding the designation um, in South Africa?
2: Sure. That's interesting. I don't actually, I don't have the stats, but I'm sure it's less, uh, it's a lot less than what, you know, the number of male uh, CFPs hold. Mm -hmm. I don't have that stats with me, but um, yeah, I'm sure it's a lot less.
1: Okay. Okay. I was just curious. because I know the number is growing here in the States and it's it's still not where it where it needs to be as well. So now you're your you're CFP, you're out there, you know, you share your story, how you grew up um, and all that all that good stuff. What are you saying to the to women and younger individuals about finances, about being uh, coming into the industry and just, you know, as you share your journey with them?
2: So my focus at the moment right now is more around educating people around how to uh, achieve financial wellness, uh, and and I do that through delivering financial education. So a lot of it is done through um, online courses that I've created, webinars, workshops, articles that I write, speaking engagements, as well as coaching. Um, I don't market to advise on any financial services products. Um, I do belong to um, a network called Women in Finance which is specifically for female financial planners. Um, And that seems to have quite a lot of uh, support for um, financial planners, financial advisors. Um, And, uh, you know, often we get to tackle some of the issues that women face in those specific roles. And, you know, some of those issues are things like lack of confidence, um, you know, not being able to um, apply for specific or, or senior positions. Um, you know the, I think it's the general issues that women have in any uh, career path. So that's one aspect of it. but you know when I focus on providing financial education for my clients, again, a lot of the the, the issues and the challenges go down to go back to, to self-worth and their confidence and ability to believe in themselves in in conversations with um, clients, um, I find that firstly, <clears throat> A lot of financial education uh, discussions, a lot of talk about businesses and trading and, you know, which shares to invest in, happen in um, in groups with their male friends. But in a female conversation, those topics are not happening. So a lot of women are steering away from that. Also, we find that, you know, a lot of women that are married um, do not, are not involved in the household finances then be. and a lot of the times they they leave that to their to their to their male spouses and i think again a reason for that is not having time you know obviously as a woman you have complex a, a lot of complex roles um and responsibilities that you need to be fulfilling so a lot of the times they don't have the time uh so they it's just easier to pass it on to their husbands um when we're sitting with a um with clients and having a conversation around joint financial planning most of the time the women are not in the room and you ask yourself but why why are they not part of that conversation and the sad reality is that it's only when there's a divorce when there's a death um or when things go wrong that they then realize that oh shucks you know um i don't know what the household finances look like i don't know if i'm going to be okay and these are you know, conversations that we're having not only with women, but also with their husbands to say, well, you've got to start bringing your, your spouse into the conversation now.
0: That's interesting. You, you mentioned uh, early on in that in that statement that, you know, men do talk about a lot of the stats. Right. This stock is up, that stocks down, maybe a political environment that's around you know, your economy. And you said women don't talk, don't have those discussions. Okay, we're two grown men. What do women talk about when? What do you talk to your female clients about uh, that's that's so different uh, than what you might talk to me about?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, so for Women's Month, I actually spoke about the five mistakes that women make when it comes to money, Uh, and I hosted my. Only five.
1: I think our list is a little longer and look, look, uh, look, we're not gonna get in trouble on this clock. Um, this this session, because my wife does listen to this, so I'm not gonna say anything that's gonna get me in trouble.
2: Okay. I I'm sorry, Gene, I had to throw mistakes. that in. I should have said the top five mistakes. Okay.
1: <laughs>
0: So the top yeah, the, so, the five mistakes that, that are really specific to you know to women that you've been able to uncover, what, what what are those?
2: Um so the first one is a man is not a financial plan. Um and again that goes back to the reliance. <laughs> I'm, sorry.
1: reliance. I'm sorry, that was hilarious. Are well, we <laughs> gonna cut that out in production? Oh, no. I'm going to highlight that one. A man is not a financial plan. For every woman that's going to listen to this, I'm going to just share that clip out. A man is not a financial plan. That is outstanding.
2: (laughs) Have you never heard that before? Oh, wow. Okay. I share these five five tips on my uh, YouTube. I have actually created a series of short videos. That I've shared with women for Women's Day, just to highlight what the issues are. So the first one is a man is not a financial plan, and again, you know, I think there's always this reliance on. And and, you know, it's it's even if you are if you decide to become a stay-at-home mom like my mom did, there is always, you know, there's always that the need to make sure that your own finances are protected. That, you know if you force if you put in a situation where you're exposed to gender-based violence where you're in an unhappy relationship where your husband cheats on you you want to have the option to be able to walk away and what I find especially you know I know quite a few people with quite a few women that are in relationships um, you know where they don't have the option to walk away because of the financial security or the financial dependence on their on their partners and so even if you're not working, Even if you're not contributing towards the financial household, uh, but you're taking on the role of taking care of the kids, managing the house, you're still contributing financially to that household. Because if you remove the woman out of that situation, the husband will still need to get somebody to help with the kids, pick them up from school, take them to school, Um, you know, managing the household, cooking, whatever. Um, That is going to have a financial implication and cost attached to it. So when, a, when you're speaking to a male spouse and he, say, and, he, and he says, oh, my wife doesn't work, so she doesn't need to, we don't need to ensure her life or she doesn't need to be a part of the conversation. So what's going to happen if you don't do this and something happens to her? Do you have extra money to now go hire a nanny, um, you know, hire a transport for your children? So yes, she is contributing financially to the household.
0: That's interesting. Okay, that's only two. What's three and four and five? <laughs>
2: Well, uh, spending more than we earn. (laughs) Otherwise, we're not going to be happy about that. (laughs) Um, You know, and obviously, women want to look good. They spend lots of money, uh, you know, on things like going to the hair salon, um, skin regime, nails, yes. (laughs) Um, And all of this is done uh, in lieu of saving for things like retirement or saving towards their, 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 their future goals. Um, and so just getting, getting them to um, uh, spend less than they earn and making sure that they are uh, saving towards their, their future. The third was lack of investor confidence. Um, okay. And again, we find that often in our, in our in, specifically in, in South Africa as well, especially amongst women, that we do steer away from the financial conversations. Uh, because we are afraid, uh, we also be risk averse. Um, we are better disciplined at saving, though, so it's not all uh, doom and gloom. Um, yeah, so that's just you know some of the some of the mistakes that they make.
1: Yeah, so Jean, a uh, couple times you you talked about women's lack of confidence in the financial space. Um, I want to just touch on that for a second. So you're a CFP. You walk into a room, and the men see that you're a CFP and learn that. What kind of experiences have you had with men being shocked that you're a CFP? Hmm. Made you think a little bit.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) The reason why I ask that question because I've I've run into some women here. They were they were overlooked um, because some men didn't think they were competent enough, educated enough, to or qualified to run money, hold certain titles. Um, I actually had a conversation with a lady yesterday um, that was sharing a little bit of that as well. So I'm always curious when you walk into the room, I'm Gene Archery CFP, how certain gender roles play in, um, in South Africa.
2: You know, and I, I, I'm thinking back to um, a client that I had a couple of years ago Well, when I first started on my uh, financial planning career, and I think I, I had my CFP for a few years, um, and the client was someone who's a, a, a high net worth. Uh, he was also an um, elderly gentleman, but he was also an engineer, so very analytical. Um, and obviously, I think women by nature, obviously, more, more nurturing and so it was a very difficult conversation for me to have. And, I, I, you know, maybe maybe there was an aspect of him being male um, that, you know, again, we this there's, there's this lack of self-confidence in your own ability and being able to come across as an expert. And I think the type of questions that he was posing to me, not because he was a man so much, but maybe because he was an engineer and because he was more mm-hmm. analytical, and I actually struggled with answering those questions. I didn't feel confident enough to actually answer those questions. But again, I think it also goes back to experience because once you obviously practice often uh, and you're in the role and you, and you learn through experience, you your confidence does increase. But it's very important that us as women need to be put in those positions so we identify where our weak spots are and you know what needs to develop and grow from there on. Um, and so that, that was, that was one of the experiences that come to light. So irrespective of whether I had my CFP or not, I felt in that moment it didn't really carry any weight because yeah. I didn't feel strong enough or I didn't have the confidence, right? I doubted my ability in that specific moment, which I should never have done. Do
0: you find yourself changing your tone or even your, your content? When you're dealing with, let's say, you know, a a male client, let's just say even a a, a husband versus when you're only talking to, you know, a, a female client or a
2: wife. Now that I think about it, I think there is maybe a little bit of intimidation. Maybe, maybe I feel a little bit intimidated depending on, again, not because it's a man, but I think more so because I have the sense that maybe he knows more than what I do. Um, or, you know, he earns more than what I do. Um, he's more than what I am. So maybe there is a little bit of that intimidation, but again, I think, you know, where I focus on right now, um, it's a very different conversation when it comes to financial education. It's, it's not, we're not, I'm not diving very much into the details of, um, the technical aspects as, as much. So for me, I think the, the benefit or, or where I seem to be thriving is how I bring together both the technical skills as well as people's emotional relationship to money. And I think that is something that is lacking when it comes, uh, you know, that is something that more women, I think, can, re- can, can relate to and resonate with, is the emotional relationship. So I think that's now i found my mission. I think now I'm playing
0: yeah. We, we, we all often touch upon sort of the behavior that's around finances. Um, and mostly it's, you know, it's kind of a negative thing the way that we look at it, at least here it is because we're always talking about the reactions to something that goes wrong. You know, where you'd be angry, where you be fearful. Um, and I think you kind of hit on something there where if people can get in touch with their feelings about money, about losing money, about gaining money, um, i think that works to your benefit long term that's that's interesting
2: yeah and i mean it's a it's a difficult market to crack into because i think a lot of people are not eager to embrace um those feelings and emotions i think ignorance in a lot of cases seems to be um you know a lot of people think that this there's a problem they know there's a problem but they, they feel that ignoring it is just going to make it go away but actually it festers and it just obviously snowballs into something that's a lot bigger. So I'm I'm trying to tackle that right now and help clients to, you know, embrace the relationship that they have and say to them, you know, it is okay if you're not where you are or where you thought you want to be. It's okay to have not managed your money properly and have made financial mistakes. But what is not okay is to not do anything to improve on the situation. Um, So just giving them that surety of, you know, you know, one of the other things that I also tend to do is I tend to share my story a lot more now. Um, I've become a lot more authentic in my approach. And when I worked in corporate, I don't think I would have ever done that. And that's reason is because I was so afraid of how I was going to be viewed by my peers. I was so afraid that financial planners are going to look at me and say, oh, well, look how many money mistakes she made. You know, and who is she to talk to us about this? And so it took me a long time, and it's only now that I've that i that I work for myself uh, that I am a lot more vocal about my journey, and and I find that that authenticity um, in sharing my story, that vulnerability in sharing my story, is actually helping me to build relationships um, quicker and stronger. Um, And interesting enough, I'm actually talking at um, a conference in October, which is called Humans Under Management. Um, And, you know, I had this opportunity, have you heard of it?
1: No,
0: please enlighten us.
2: So Humans Under Management was started by Andy Hart in the UK and it actually came to South Africa a couple of years ago. And I remember when I first heard about it, because my ex-employer is a corporate sponsor, when i when i when i first heard about it uh, and it was in cape town not in johannesburg which is where i live um so a different province and a few of my colleagues had the opportunity to attend and i think even some had opportunity to speak at the event um and i was requested a couple of months ago if or oh, asked if i would be interested in talking at the conference and i thought well wow this is a great opportunity i never would have thought in a million years that i would have had this opportunity you know, doing what I do right now and not working for corporates because it is, the audience is financial planners. And I thought, well, I, I my focus is financial education and financial wellness. So most advisors don't focus on financial education because the market that I'm dealing with are clients that don't have money to invest. A lot of them are struggling to manage through their debt and they haven't achieved or identified goals. So they don't have ne- a need for an advisor. And my role or my My mission is to try and get them out of that situation so that they can then go to an advisor once they've freed up reserves or identified goals that they wanna start saving for. And so I thought, well, what am I going to speak to financial advisors about? Because there was a little bit of a mislink for me. And um, after sharing my story with the person that runs it in South Africa, he encouraged me to actually share that story and so for the very first time, I'm going to be vulnerable on a completely different level. And I think one of them that I do want to share with them is the is to remind them firstly of the value that they're adding, but also to encourage them to share more of their stories uh, because that authenticity and being vulnerable actually is going to open up a whole new. Um, yeah. A whole new relationship and a whole new discussion with the with, with the with the relationships that they have with their clients.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think what you're gonna find out is that a lot of people, even though they're in the industry, even though they're CFPs, even though you know they may be telling their clients one thing, but in reality, you know, they're making probably some of the same mistakes that we we all tend to make. I mean, I've been in this in this business for almost 25 years and I've made plenty, I mean I mean plenty of financial Incorrect, poor decisions. Um, I love the fact that you are your business is basically drawing that out of people um, and helping them to get that that ship right it in the right direction. And really, if you think about it, you came into this podcast saying, "Well, I thought I was going to be a child psychologist." Well, looks like you're kind of an adult psychologist, right? <laughs> that's that's the name of the that's game, it. and you're 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 using, I think, some of that natural skill set that you have. Um, especially now that you've been unshackled from the corporate life and Ed and I can (laughs) sort (laughs) of, let me tell you something. There is no such thing as a journey podcast. If we're still working for banks, am I correct?
1: Absolutely not. Absolutely. They were like, are you crazy? No, you're not saying. (laughs) But I think you
0: found some freedom in, in both starting your own business, finding your niche and really incorporating, I think, probably what God's given you naturally, which is the
1: ability to connect to people, which is one. Yeah. And that's the key. That's that is the key connecting with people. And you, some of the things that you're going to talk about at the Human um, um, Under Management Conference, when you start talking about authenticity, when you being, start being authentic, especially when you're speaking to women, that opens up a whole new door because I didn't always share all my story. And when I, the first person that I shared my whole story with on a live podcast was with uh, our friend Miss Tina. And it just, and she's just afterwards, she sat back and she's like, What? I didn't know this. And it just drew her in. And I started being more comfortable being authentic about who I am, what I've been through, and my whole whole story. So that's a beautiful thing to get in front of a bunch of financial planners and tell them to be more authentic about who they are. But what I want to do though, um, with the time that we have left is, I want you to think about when you first got into the financial industry. You've been through a lot, you've seen a lot, you've talked to a lot of people. What would you go back and tell yourself about this financial journey? And what would you do different, if anything at all?
2: Sure. <clears throat> you know, I always thought my first, uh well, actually no, my first job, my second uh company that I worked for in um, as a financial planner and that's where I did my CFP I got I got some amazing training in terms of um, the knowledge and you know wanting to do my CFP at that point because it was never a um, a desire before until I started working there and you know I had a choice between choosing that employer and another company and the other company is, was offering me more, um, was offering me a higher salary, but I wasn't going to be in a financial planning role as such. And so I opted to go for the financial planning role because I saw the value that I would be adding. But I also, you know, at that point in time, I looked at it and I thought, well, here's an opportunity for me to create my own wealth and for me to be able to live the life that I wanted to live because obviously at that point a lot of us were remunerated for selling products and so you know you could write your own salary Um, and that was what actually at that point motivated me into you know into wanting to follow that um follow that path even though the salary was slightly less i looked at the bigger opportunity um that was given to me but having worked there for two three years I remember the one year I did quite well but then there was this instability of income and I was transitioning in a period in my life and uh, I wanted to have that stability and I couldn't handle it because it's quite emotional emotionally drained to have this up and down salary you know when you get when you get when, you, when you're doing really well, you've got access to additional resources and you can go out and buy things cash. And then the next two, three months down the line, you're like, oh, I didn't sell any products now, so I'm not making any money. And so it was very irregular and, you know, emotionally very draining. Um, but in hindsight, you know, I felt at that point I had to do what was best for myself and the family was about to have. Um, and when I looked at it a, a few years down the line, I realized that maybe that was not the best decision to have made at that point because I I needed to give it time to grow my client base, to grow my skill set. Um, and in hindsight, I may have that may have been more lucrative financially than the other parts that I chose. So the other jobs that I chose thereafter were never financial planning roles. They were always management roles that had a secure income, a uh, higher income. Obviously, that was the limit. You couldn't earn more than that, uh, and so there wasn't that opportunity to be your own boss and to you know write your own check. Um, and I guess maybe that was another driving force as to why I left corporate because I reached my peak and I realized. Well, I, I've always I've known for a very long time that this was my passion. Um, the very first time I gave I gave a talk uh, to staff around financial education, I walked out of that room on a high. And I I knew in that instant, I knew that this was what I was born to do. My last corporate job, I was not doing this. Um, And again, uh, you know, I became a single mom. And so stability of income was something that was extremely important. But I never let that stop me from living my purpose. So I did manage to, I, I authored a series of stories teaching kids about money. And that was an outlet for me to be able to live my purpose while still being employed and earning a stable income. Um, And eventually when I left my corporate job last year to focus on financial education, obviously I walked away from a secure income. Obviously I took a risk as a single mom amidst a pandemic. Um, But again, it was something that I've been planning and it's something that I said, I have to try. Um, You know, and, and I haven't looked back. I mean, it's been an amazing journey. It's been absolutely rewarding. As I said, I'm dealing with a market that actually needs financial education. Financial advisors don't want to deal with them because they don't have the money to invest. Um, and, you know, I hope that more and more employers will actually call on my services because it is something that is needed. Um, it's not, financial education is not taught in schools. Uh, there's not, you know, parents don't know how to have these conversations with their own children. And so I'm, I've created content so that I can help Raise money smart households, um, and hopefully we get to a point where you know our younger generation and our children will see the need for a financial advisor, and they'll see the value of financial planning, and they'll be and they'll be willing to pay for it. Whereas right now it's a very hesitation to have with um, with with youngsters and with, with with even with adults.
0: You slid something in there real quick. Did you say you wrote a series of books for kids around financial literacy? You're just gonna slide yes. that right by and not, <laughs> not expand on that at all. So,
2: yeah,
0: I'm. I don't miss very much. So you have to please illuminate us with 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 how that was, what that process is about, what inspires you to do that, and then talk about the success and obviously give us the name of these books so we can actually go and look okay. these
2: things up. I'll do that. Um, so it was actually interesting because. I picked my daughter up from school one day. She was about six years old. And she wanted an ice cream from McDonald's, which cost five grand here. So, so,
1: so real quick, do your ice cream machines and McDonald's in South Africa actually work? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, McDonald's, but your ice cream machines are garbage Hey, here. Never trying to to get
0: sued on this podcast. <laughs> McDonald's, is McDonald's you go to, I guess. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: oh my gosh! All right, G. I'm <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Forgive Ed.
2: <laughs> so yeah, so the the ice cream that she wanted was McDonald's. It was less than a dollar, and but it was in the in the opposite direction of traveling to home. And I said to her, "Oh, I'm not going to go down that road. The traffic in Joeb is ridiculous." So I stopped at a garage on the way home, and it ended up costing a lot more money. So we got home and I'm saying to her, and obviously it was the wrong language to use, which I obviously realize now, but I said to her while well, we're eating this ice cream that it was very expensive. And she asked me, what does that mean, expensive? Because our kids are growing up in a completely different environment. I mean, they didn't, they, my daughter daughter's never exposed to half the things that I was exposed to when I was a young child. Um, obviously, I'm talking about the lack of, of um, l- lack of money. Um, But, you know, so again, I struggled to explain it to her in a a way that made sense. And so I thought, you know, I work in financial services. I'm a certified financial planner. I shouldn't be having this, explaining this to her because I I talk about this to adults. And I mean, we take it for granted. As an adult, you understand what expensive means. As a six-year-old, you don't. So how do you explain it to them in an age-appropriate manner? And so the first thing I did with any issue that I have with her is I went to look in the bookstore tried to find a book about money and I couldn't find anything. Uh, she's now 14. So I thought, well, if I'm struggling, how are the parents having this conversation? And that's how the idea was actually triggered to create a series of stories that teaches them. So in my stories, I teach them about earning money, saving money, spending, and giving.
0: All right, title of the book is what?
2: Oh, Mrs. Spiggles and her money tales. Say that available on Amazon, available, I don't know if you have Snaplify there, um, available to all major bookstores in South Africa, and also available through me.
0: Mrs. Figgles, did I get that right? Figgles.
2: Spiggles, S-P-I-G-G-L-E-S.
0: Mrs. Spiggles, Ed, new one oh, for right me. In the chat. You know we're going to look at some uh, yeah, We're, we're
1: sitting here curious, what's Mrs. Spiggles, What's the? where'd that come from?
2: Oh. So Mrs. spiggles is a flying piggy bank uh, who goes to visit these kids in this town. <laughs> and she teaches a, a different child in each story about a concept of money.
1: <laughs> I love it.
2: Flying I
1: love it. <laughs> and we got to make that go viral. Oh, we're going <laughs> to make Mrs. Spiegel go viral. We're going to have fun with that. You got to send us the picture of the flying pig.
2: That, that I will, mind. I will. <laughs> well, well, I would love to do an animation of her flying. At the moment, she's obviously very stagnant in the book. Um, but there are four stories and, and you know, obviously it's for a specific age group. Um, I would love the opportunity to animate it at some point and, you know, develop it into a series. I am talking to a few people at the moment, so hopefully crossing fingers that it's something that does happen. Um, in the future, we,
0: we make light of that stuff, but it's a very real issue. I mean, here well, in the future. States, we talk about this all the time where, you know, mm-hmm. kids that kids don't really experience any financial responsibilities until usually they're getting out of school and it can come in, in a couple of different formats. Um, they could be in high school and starting to understand the challenges of money or lack thereof, and they're finding employment mm-hmm. while still in school. In some cases, kids are going on to to colleges or university here and they don't have the money or resources to pay for it. So they're they're creating debt right away. And we can that's a whole separate podcast that we can get into. Mm-hmm. But they're then they're graduating from universities and there are tens of thousands of dollars in debt to start their lives. That's oftentimes the very first experience that they have with with money. And I think a lot of that is because we don't have a Mrs. Spiggles here telling them what debt means and and how we mm-hmm. should never be spending more than we earn and and what gifting is all about. Because yeah. again, they're by the time we we get to experience that, they're they're effectively young adults. I know that was the case for me. Um, my me. very first experience was was financial debt because of education. The very first thing. Um, yeah. I applaud that and 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 we joke about making that go viral but that's something that needs to be that needs to be up front and center that needs to be something we begin to focus on
1: yeah as parents we have to do a better job no I was gonna say as parents we have to do a better job um yeah. educating as much as we know and kids yeah. learn from our mistakes so i remember my daughter was probably about 14 at the time so this was probably about uh, 12 12 years ago we're sitting down I'm sitting at the table and I'm just got my bills spread out and I'm paying bills and I'm writing checks and she's like what are you doing? I was like I'm paying the bills she's like okay she said how do you how do you how do you manage a checkbook and I was like oh, hmm, never thought about it. she said what's the difference between a credit card and a debit card so she started asking me these questions and I'm like I failed to educate my daughter on just some of the basics. And I moved all the stuff to the to the side and we started having a conversation because she, she says, we don't learn this in school. It's not it's not taught. And we as adults, we need to do a better job at teaching our kids the basics of the finance because that would help them manage their money better, be able to potentially hire financial buyers in the future, save better and have a brighter future and a better retirement than a lot of us as well if we teach them the basics early. Imagine if we taught kids, you know, real early the benefits of saving. You know how many people would be just we wouldn't, I don't know, you know, how many Walmarts you have here in South Africa, but we wouldn't have Walmart greeters. No. If we, taught them. we wouldn't have elderly people working in shopping centers, um, bagging groceries or or fast food restaurants if we taught them the basics early. Right. Yeah. We, we would have far then, less.
2: Then...
1: Sorry, go ahead, Gene.
2: That's one of the reasons why we have such low savings, uh, a low savings culture, uh, and it's not only a problem in South Africa, but globally too, you know, people not saving towards retirement, people making financial mistakes, people not paying themselves first. These are all because we were never taught this at a young age. I mean, the conversations I'm having with my own daughter, I didn't have this with my parents. My mom obviously has being a single mom with four, for, for having to manage four children, didn't have the resources that we have available today to be able to have these conversations. I didn't grow up with a wealth mindset. I didn't grow up with an entrepreneurial mindset, even though my mom did venture into her own business a few times. Uh, you know, I was always very risk averse because financial security was something very important to me. And one of the lessons that she taught me was that, you know, buy, always buy things on, on, on cash, don't buy things uh, using credit. But, you know, that, again, was not the right thing for me to have been exposed to. So now, you know, um, through the stories, it's planting the seed and the basics around financial education. I've also created an online course for teenagers to start now, obviously, because my daughter's 14 and I need to start uh, improving the conversation and the skills. And to be honest, I mean, I asked her the other day what she wants to become. And she's always wanted to be an artist. From the time she was two, she's wanted to be an artist. In the last two years, it's kind of changed. And I asked her this the other day, I said to her, what do you wanna be when you're older? And her response was, I wanna be rich. <laughs> and I don't know whether to be horrified or proud because, you know, it was, it was just, yeah. And I, I had to dive deeper into, okay, why do you wanna be rich? um and there was a whole lot of reasons why she wanted to be rich and then the second question was well what are you going to do in order to be able to become rich and i actually i I realize now i'm actually proud of her for for answering that question the way that she did because if you are rich you this you have so many opportunities to be able to improve not only your life but around you you know your community your family your friends your you know the environment you have You know, so I was so
0: proud of her when she made that, when she gave that answer. That's awesome. So speaking of that, in the richness of not just money, but the richness of our endeavors, what you're trying to do right now is very unique. I mean, between the, the children's literature and now you're talking about, you know, online courses for teenagers. Is this part of the business that you see growing over the next five, 10 years? Is this the direction that you find yourself going to? Because if. It very much sounds like you've turned backwards and you're saying, listen, the next generation coming up that are my daughter's generation, maybe even younger, I need to put them in a better spot than when I was
2: that age. So I've created an online financial education and wellness program for individuals, employees and their families. So the intention is to educate as many people as I can through using various channels. The online courses is just one such channel, um, and there they have access to a whole lot of resources that will help them to improve their financial wellness. So there's young cho- the stories for the young children, the courses for teenage young adults, I've even created content and resources, people getting married, people, um, you know, domestic workers in our households, because financial education for me is something that should be a basic right to everyone. So that's just one channel. The second is I do a lot of workshops and webinars where obviously it's a little bit more interactive. So the online stuff they can do on their own, um, at their own pace, whereas the the workshops and webinars are a little bit more interactive. And then the final leg of uh, delivering solutions is through the individual coaching. Um, And again, I don't advise on any products. I basically help people to identify what their challenges are, what their goals are. And again, I bring in not only the technical skills, but also their emotional relationship with money. And a lot of that looks past at their childhood experiences. What are those limiting uh, beliefs and thoughts that have been programmed into their brain by their parents, by their role models, because those are things that are actually limiting them from achieving financial success and financial wealth. So how do we get them to shift that? I'm, uh, this week in South Africa is Money Smart Week South Africa. where we we, it's a it's a it's a it's an initiative run by our treasury as well as other industry bodies Uh, and i'm participating tomorrow actually where i'm helping people i'm giving them i'm sharing five tips on how they can create their wealth mindset because again a lot of us are born into an environment where we're poverty stricken we haven't been given the tools or the, the the you know the ingredients to Um, to think like wealthy people do. And so I want to start getting people to start shifting their mindset so that they can get out of this, you know, I'm I'm reliant on one income or I'm reliant on an an employer to to give me a salary. Unemployment in South Africa is ridiculously high. It's over 30%. A lot of the youth are unemployed and there's, there's not many opportunities for them to actually find jobs. And so one of the things that I do want to do is to get them to start thinking, well, I don't have to rely on an income. I don't have to rely on an employer to get out of my situation. I have the power to actually start shifting my mindset. And it's just giving them the tools to be able to do that.
1: No, that's great. Absolutely love it. Wow. So we want to we want to we, we're about to wrap up on this session, Jean. So you're, you're speaking at the the human um under management conference and speaking to a bunch of financial planners. Well, right now, let's just say that you're talking to the world and you want to land one message with the world. What would that message be?
2: You know, anything is possible if you just start believing in yourself. Um, If you want to create financial success and financial wealth, you've got to believe that you can do it Um, in anything in life. If you like my daughter, want to be rich when you are older, I'm gonna encourage her to do that. Um, you know, she wanted to be an artist and I encouraged her to do that. And again, it's all about the belief that we've been programmed with. And a lot of our beliefs have been, obviously negative beliefs have been programmed and learned along the way, and a lot of those can be unlearned. And I think it all starts with the idea of having a dream and having or believing in a possibility of life being different. We have the power to change our outcomes and we have the power to change our stories, and I think I'm living proof that I that I was able to do that.
0: Gene, well done. This has been a <laughs> wonderful, wonderful interview. Thank you so much for joining us. We are truly honored. I'm more honored now than I was 53 minutes ago, for sure. <laughs> to hear, you so to hear your story. Um, we we don't often say this, but there are going to be repeat offenders on this broadcast, and you're <laughs> going to be one of them because. But I, I love feel that like we're, we've just scratched the surface of of what you're, what you're trying to do um, yeah. and what you're offering. So,
1: uh, Ed, any any last thoughts? I will say, Gene, thank you for your time. Thank you for your willingness to um, come on our show and actually share your story. Um, it was thank you definitely so
2: it
1: was definitely inspiring. Um, I'm definitely going to start looking. You gave I'm. I'm I'm an idea man, so I got ideas. You're throwing stuff at me. I'm like, oh man, I need to. So if you saw me over here just writing all the time, because I'm like, oh, this is good, this is good, and I I tune into your financial literacy classes with Tina all the time. So I listen to the recording. So you're doing awesome. amazing. So thank
2: so you. thank
1: you, thank you for everything that you're doing for people that are forgotten because we tend to forget those people in the middle that are that are struggling just just to get the basics together. So thank you for your service to um, humanity. Thank you.
2: So and thank you for having
1: me. Yeah. So this has been the journey, the Financial Advisor um, podcast with our guest today, Gene Archery, coming all the way from South Africa. We thank you for tuning in, no matter where you are. And if there are any time that we can be of service to you, don't hesitate to reach out to Garland, myself, or Gene. Especially if you're trying to get educated. Take care, everyone. Have a great day.